worship, would you stand up, shake ourselves off, and pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We thank you where two or more are gathered in your name. There you are in our midst. Father, we thank you for your presence. We desire your presence every time we're here, Father God. We desire your presence in our lives. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear and learn the things we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A quick announcement. You know, Josh and Amara, you know which one they are? She's having shoulder surgery Friday. So Courtney's gathering some people up that, um, because she'll be, shoulder surgery's a rough one, and they have the baby. So Courtney's kind of gathering up some food for people to take to them. So if you're interested, she's wanting to get like casseroles or things that you could freeze. And you could bring them Sunday and then Courtney would just take, if you're interested, Courtney would just take them all at once. Or you could bring like a gift card to a restaurant or something. Um, And if you are interested, talk to Courtney afterwards and let her know kind of what you're doing. So this is the last week you got to put up with me for a while. Next Wednesday, there is no service because we will have a Good Friday on Friday. I'm going to go fast tonight because i got quite a bit of stuff. I'm going to talk about three different things, but they're all kind of tied together. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Sundays for fishing, for bringing people in, and Wednesdays or other nights are for swimming deeper things. They're more for the grow-up sessions, sometimes for prayer, sometimes for training, all those different things. So we're going to swim a little tonight. Sometimes teaching needs to be verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, but tonight I'm going to put just some things out there for you that you can pray about, you can ponder. These are things I've been pondering and, and, and studying and trying to figure out in some respects because the one thing, growing up in Christ is not about mind-numbing compliance. It's about having our own personal relationships with God. It's about finding things out for ourselves. Um, each one of us should be developing our own personal relationship with Christ, putting roots down deep in him so that we can grow inward and upward. It says, God, this scripture, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound, well-disciplined mind. God gives us a mind, a brain for to be used. And each one of us that has Christ in our lives and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, but each one of us has a personal responsibility to develop that relationship with God and learn to hear from him. So um, just remember, everything needs to line up with the word of God. If, you know, through the years, years that we've seen so many things through the years. Years ago, we knew this lady, and she was convinced that God told her that, her husband would die so she could marry this minister. And she was just convinced that that was going to happen. Now, somewhere she heard that voice, but it wasn't God because it doesn't line up with the word of God. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it isn't from God. Well, anyway, um, the, the minister died a long time ago, and the husband just died a year ago. So it didn't work out. But, I mean, people can just get off 
on tangents like that, but if it just lines up with the Word of God, it shouldn't be difficult. So that's okay. That's kind of my introduction, but there's three things I want to talk about tonight. Number one, these are just things I see going on. You know, you, know, you can see what's going on in your life, what you recognize. You can study it out yourself or whatever, but the first thing I want to talk about is pruning. Last week, I've, there was an article Lance Walnow had on his Facebook page, and it was about pruning. And, and I don't spend a whole lot of time following this. There's just too much out there. But this one caught my attention. And I'm going to read just a little portion of it. He says, when a sports team chooses who it keeps and who it loses, the winners, of, winners all survive the cut. Likewise, the whole symbolism behind Abraham's covenant of circumcision involves the removal of flesh or carnal nature. When God wants to start a godly new thing, idea, or generation, he goes to work on the candidates he is going to promote. The reproductive part of you, the creative part of you, must be sanctified so that it, it is birthed not of the flesh nor of the will of man, but rather birthed by the will of God. The cutting is a painful process if you don't know what's going on. Pruning, conflict, instability, and uncertainty come upon us as the master mason starts cutting the stone to fit the new structure. And then he goes on and he talks about it's like the master stonemason, and he has to cut the stones so that they all fit together and get the, get the rough edges uh, taken off. So the master mason knows that each stone is a different color, different shape, different size. If they're going to fit in a glorious house, there need to be some changes. And conflict and adversity rise up as we are being adjusted in five areas. Now, there has been, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about there was a lot of edginess in the air. There's a lot of, you know, look around. There's a lot of strife going on. You know, just people are edgy. Our state legislature, there's a lot of edgy stuff going on there. And we have to be aware of what's going on. But conflict and ad adversity rise up as we are being adjusted in five areas. Now, I've also been studying about stress and how being stretched promotes stress. It creates a stress. And as you're stretched, there's a stress that goes on, and all of that kind of thing can pr promote edginess or, or strife. But conflict and adversity rise up as we're being adjusted in five areas. Interpersonal relationships. Interpersonal conflicts within yourself. Intrapersonal, struggle with those over us. Personal function, functional, role we are in. In other words, where the heck am I right now and what the heck am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right place? What's going on here? And then the fifth one is personal organizational. So problem with organization. So there's a lot of things going on, and it, it talks about being pruned or cut away. And I believe that in 2020, really, when COVID began to hit, that was the beginning of the pruning process with the church. And things were just, not, on, not this church, but the church worldwide, the church America, even the church locally, in 2020, there was a pruning that took place. 
in 2021, there was more pruning that took place. And people and things and ideas were being cut away. And then 20, and actually for me, 2020 and 2021 weren't that bad. I thought 2022 was the kind of the roughest year of all. Because what happened in 20 and 21, things were cut away. The dead wood was cut away in some areas. But in 2022 and 23, those that have stepped up, those that, are, that have hung in there, moved forward, want more of God, the, the personal pruning is now taking place. And it's to make us more productive. The rough edges are being rubbed off so that we can be better joined and fit together. There's two things I know about pruning in the natural. One is the dead and unproductive are cut off so that what remains can become stronger and more productive. And if that happens in that's what, how it works in the natural, in trees. That's what's working in our lives. And the other th thing, and this is good news to me, the best time to prune fruit trees is right at the end of the winter or the very beginning of spring. And so if you're experiencing pruning, and, and, and it's because God's wanting to, the pruning process with fruit trees and stuff is to make that tree solid, strong, more productive, and it's putting more energy into growing the productive fruit-bearing fruit parts. So if I believe we're in that season right now, we're right on the edge, we're right on the verge of winter going into spring. In John 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, there's, you can look at that in the natural branches that don't bear fruit. That could be people that are, you know, taken away. But really what it means to us personally, those things in our lives that aren't bearing fruit, God's going to endeavor to help us get rid of them. And those things in our life that need to be productive will become more productive if we can get rid of all that dead, dead branches. So I believe there's a pruning process. And you can study that out more, but it ha I, I think it helps us to understand. If I can understand what's going on and why, it helps me deal with things better. The second thing is in Galatians. We're gonna, if you want to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. The second thing I'm going to talk about is the fruit of the Spirit. We talked a little bit last week about balance, being balanced or unbalanced. And, um, so here we're going to start in uh, Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to start with verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another. So... You do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's talking about the 
the works of the flesh. And you notice that in, in verse 19, the things of the flesh that it's talking about, it calls them works. The works, and it's plural, works of the flesh, and they're evident. They can be seen. They're pretty, they can be evidenced, you know, um, adultery, uncleanness, lewdness, all these different things can be seen by the eye. You can recognize them. But, um, and then it talks about, so it's, it divides them into three things. So in verse 19, it talks about adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Those are sexual sins. The first two in verse 20 is idolatry and sorcery. Those are sins connected with pagan religion. And there is stuff going on with, that's involved all this, a lot of this stuff you're seeing down at the state capitol, a lot of, you know, things going on. There is witchcraft, there is sorcery. Uh, basically, the pharmaceut- a lot of pharmaceuticals, which are drugs, are involved basically under, would go under the sorcery uh, title because they're to change the mind and, and twist it. So they are sins connected with pagan religion. And then in verse 20, 21, the next nine are probably, you think of the works of the flesh, you think of the adultery, the fornication, the witchcraft, all those things. But then there are the next nine, and those are probably the ones that you and I struggle with the most. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, and murder. Those are sins of the temper. Those are sins that we deal with in our lives, sins of the temper with our temperament. And some people are more temperamental than others. Some people might not deal with jealousy, but they deal with selfish ambition. And dissension, basically we talked about dissension or heresy last week, and dissensions and heresies are kind of the same thing. They're kind of pulling away for my, my opinion, what I want. So those are the sins of the temper. And then the last two, drunkenness and revelries. Um, that, that's basically the party spirit being irresponsible. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not advocating alcohol. But I don't think, this is my personal opinion, having a beer or a glass of wine is a major sin that's going to keep you out of heaven. This is talking about drunkenness, revelries. It says those that practice those things that do them over and over and over and over. In fact, I think probably a beer or a glass of wine is healthier than a a pop. In all reality, when you get down to it, and Jesus did not make grape juice at the wedding. He made wine. And, And here again, we can get in the ditches. But last week, I also talked about all the things I learned at the Monroe Tavern. And you think, well, how? this is what I learned. One of the things I learned very early on at the Monroe Tavern, drunkenness and revelry creates lots of problems in families, in personal lives, destroys a lot of people. I saw it all the time. And it grieved me, and I decided early on, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be so out of control that I want, I want to control my life not have something else control me. And I saw a lot of stuff that it just opened my eyes and I realized that. And so anything, anything that's out of excessive or out of control works of the flesh. So 
those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you can do it. It, it talks about, you know, if, if you repent of your sin and confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. But if you keep doing those things over and over and over, it's not so much God's condemnation, but you're going to get yourself further and further and further away from the truth until you're far gone on your, basically your own choice. But then let's go, let's spend most of our time on the rest, on the, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And I've just been, I don't know, I've been kind of stuck here. I've been reading this and studying this a lot and just, it talks about the works of the flesh and that's plural. All these different things going on in your life. But the fruit, and we'll misquote this, we'll say the fruits of the Spirit, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. Only the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit. There are nine fruits listed here, but they are indivisible. In other words, they work with one another. They're all produced by the Holy Spirit. The first three are love, joy, and peace. Those three are concerning our attitude towards God. The next three, long-suffering, patience, or forbearance, Kindness and goodness deals with our social relationships. How do we treat other people? And the third three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are guides for our own personal conduct. And I don't think we look at them like that too much. But when you, one thing we make a mistake, when we look at words and concepts like that, it's important for us to get the true meaning of the word. A lot of times... What I think of something meaning isn't really what it meant in the Hebrew or the Greek or what it meant during that time period or the real definition. Sometimes my definition in my head is different. And for joy, for instance, joy is not just some giddy emotionalism. Joy and happiness are not the same. Joy is something that is birthed from within by the Holy Spirit. It's deeper and stronger than just momentary happiness. It's a deep trust, reliance, and confidence in God. Rejoicing in verbal praise may result from joy, but it can also, joy can also produce a contentment even in adverse circumstances from the knowing that God will come through. If you've ever read the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, she talked, you know, gives the graphic examples of what it was like in the concentration camps and in where it was horrible. We, we, don't, we think we have it horrible. And yet she, they were able to spend a lot of time rejoicing and and there was some contentment now that's deeper than happiness that could not have been a happy situation it was a horrible situation but there was something within and i remember she she talked about she'd meditated on the scripture about being thankful for all things and the fleas and the lice were just eating them alive just eating them up and she complained to god how can i be thankful for this. And then she realized one day they had they would have these Bible studies in their barracks or whatever it was. 
And they were just like they were free to have these Bible studies and pray for people and get people saved. And the guards never interrupted it. And she came to the conclusion, the guards came to the door, but they would never come in because of the lice and the fleas. So she says, I learned to have a degree of thankfulness for lice and fleas. So joy goes beyond superficial putting on a happy face. All these things really go beyond what's superficial. It talks about the next, uh, in the next three, about long-suffering. And long-suffering means patient or forbearance with others and with circumstances. If things aren't moving as quickly as you would like or expect, it's always good to do a checkup on yourself. But quite possibly, God is pruning you or doing a work in your life. Can and will you hold the line? So we want things to happen often. But you know, really, there's kind of a test that will go on if you want to be... Oral Roberts was real type A. He was gung-ho. When he would hear a word from God to do something, he was all in both feet all right away. And he was very, he could be very impatient. And he always had, he wasn't a deep revelation teacher. He taught very well, but it was always for new believers because he was an evangelist. But he had two stories he told over and over. And I don't know, I've told you this before, but one of them was about Rahab the harlot and what it must have been like for her holding that rope in the dark with people that could kill her for doing this and letting those spies down, and how she had to hold till they reached the bottom. And he told that story, but the other story he told all the time was about in the Middle East, and they have these very highly trained and very expensive good Arabian horses, and he would go through and tell the whole training process of these Arabian horses and how their lives depended on these horses as they crossed the desert and they had to be trained perfectly and be perfectly obedient. So the last test that they would put the Arabian horses through was they, in this hot desert heat, they wouldn't give them any water for a long period of time until they almost couldn't take it anymore. And then right when it got to the end, they would release them to go get water. And as they were almost ready to dip their heads down and get the water, they would give them the command to stop. And if they stopped, they passed the test. If they didn't, they, they did not, they were done. They didn't pass the test. It, took, it required the total obedience. And you know that sometimes when God tests us or prunes us, it's to develop those things in our lives. If God's told you something and it isn't working out quite as fast as you think, are you going to hold the line? Are you going to stay with it? And, and, and I'm thinking about that. That has to be developed in our lives. Or we're no good to each other. I think of it in terms of military. So we all know on June 6th was D-Day, and they all came in and, and attacked on, at Normandy on Omaha Beach. And you don't think much more. We think we won the war. Well, 30 days after D-Day, my dad and the 35th Division and a bunch of them went in to Omaha Beach, 
and they called it D-Day plus 30. And they were still fighting on the beach at Normandy. They were just, all they were doing was just holding the ground. And then the group, my dad and, and all the others, they were the reinforcements. And these first ones that went in held the ground for 30 days. That's basically all they did. And then the reinforcements came in and pushed the line. The other big battle in World War II, these were the two, defi two defining battles in World War II, was at Bastogne. And if you've ever watched the movie, the series Band of Brothers, that's what that was about. They got in there, they got uh, surrounded, and they couldn't get out. And all they did was hold the line, hold the ground, didn't give up didn't quit. And I understand that because my dad was there too. He was in France and they had been fighting on the front line for about like 90 days and they'd finally gotten pulled back off the front line for some rest. And right then Bastogne started and so and at the 35th division was under Patton so Patton gathered everybody all in and they had to drive. My dad drove 36 hours straight dark light, no sleep, to get there, to get those guys out. But those guys held the line till they got there. And that was the impetus of the Battle of the Bulge, and then that Battle of the Bulge was the impetus that took us on and finished the war. But the important things were the ones that held the line, the one that didn't give up, the one that didn't go back. And that's, you know, when we're in a battle, We've got to be like that. That's where the long-suffering comes. Long-suffering isn't just for me. It's for us together. You've got to have one another's backside. So if, if things are taking longer than you think, you know, maybe God is just developing that in us. Maybe there's a perfect timing for things. But Hagen always said it's easier, much easier to don't you don't want to get ahead of God. It's easier to play catch up than it is clean up. In other words, don't, you don't go out if something isn't happening. Don't go out and just make it happen. Just hang in there and wait on God. The next thing I'm just picking one of out of each group is, and this is the one I was thinking about a lot was in the ones of of your personal self discipline and conduct. So it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I was thinking about gentleness because I don't really necessarily have what I would consider a gentle personality. Anyway, it, but gentleness is not an ooey-gooey, kiss-your-boo-boo kind of thing. As I looked it up and studied it, gentleness is a disposition that is even-tempered, balanced in spirit, unpretentious, and has passions under control. Gentleness is not weakness, but it's power and strength under control, and it exhibits calmness and rules his own spirit well. I remember back in the Iran-Contra deal, I didn't understand a lot, but Oliver North was on trial, and, and I still don't understand the whole thing, but I can remember a minister saying they would watch and Oliver North had his spirit under control. He maintained an even composure all the way. Margaret Thatcher was, she and Reagan were the dynamic duo. She was one of the 
most powerful prime ministers of Great Britain. And when she first started in politics, the thing she had to learn to do was keep her voice calm because she would get really high-pitched and it, it would. she found out that it pushed people away. So she worked and developed that calmness that she could deal with the great leaders around the world. And then the thing we realize with these gifts of the Spirit, the first one listed is love. And the last one listed is self-control. They are like the two pieces of bread on a sandwich. They heap it all together. Those two qualities are what keep the other parts contained and in order. But this is the thing that, as I've studied this and have been looking at this and meditating this, we talked about the first three were attitudes directed toward God. That's where love is. And I think we get this mixed up. We're expecting to develop a great love for everybody we meet. The gifts of the Spirit are orchestrated by the Holy Spirit when our love is directed toward God. Not necessarily so much to other people. It's our love for God has to be developed. We have to spend time with God and learn to understand him. Our love for God needs to be ever-developing. Our love for God is what enables us or motivates us to produce and grow in the other gifts of the Spirit. So if I had the opportunity to meet face-to-face with somebody I really do not like or disagree with, um, you know, I'm just thinking a few instances of some people in the state legislature, if I had to sit down and meet with them face-to-face, could I exercise self-control, kindness, and goodness? Or just come unglued? Because I don't love them much. Or I, I don't think I love, I don't, I've never met them, but I don't love what they do very much. But my attempt to maintain the attitude of goodness and self-control and kindness with them is because I love God. And if I can maintain that love with God, it will enable me to develop self-control with dealing with people that I don't necessarily care for. Because I think sometimes we get wrapped up with, you know, I just can't love that person. Or I just, you know, all these feelings. But it's the love of God that it's centered on. That's our cornerstone. That's the post. I love God. And I don't know about you, but that helps me. If I develop, that's one of the reasons it's so important that we spend more time with God. Fellowship with God. The word of God. So we understand the character of God. And, and just develop a love for him more and more because in that love for him, it will enable us to do the other things. It will enable us to walk in gentleness and kindness and, and self-control. So there's that balance that we've been talking about. We've got to balance those things in our lives. We've got to have, allow those things in our lives to be developed because that's part of that revival process we've been talking about. Number, so number one, there's pruning. Number two, we've got to develop in the, the fruits of the Spirit. And number three, I'll go fast. And this one is just, I've been thinking about a lot. Um, in Proverbs 11:14, it says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, 
there is safety. I was contemplating about the fact that we are living in perilous times. We've read that in Second Timothy. Perilous times. Perilous times are harsh, savage, difficult, dangerous, painful, fierce, grievous, and hard to deal with times. There, we are in times when it talks about many are deceived, and I think more are heading in that direction. But I believe that God has provided safety nets for us. It isn't just about getting the harvest in. We want to do that. But we want to maintain and we want to grow spiritually. Prayer and the, the word of God and our relationship with God is a safety net that will keep us from being deceived, keep us from giving up and quitting, keep us from falling away, keep us from not being able to deal with the perilous times. Growing, growing and allowing the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit within us is another avenue of a safety net for us. So we grow in these things. We allow these things to develop, forbearance, learning how to, to just hang on in difficult times and being kind or good regardless and developing self-control. The, the third thing, and this is something I think we overlook a lot, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is accountability. Um, when we were first here, I saw we saw so many things that were wrong. And if some of the people were here before us, when the church, when we first came in '83, and the church we came here for, and the churches around, it just there were so many things that seemed wrong, and a lot of that developed out of people not being accountable. The charismatic movement was good, but what had happened was all these different churches started outside of denominations and there was no accountability over these over ministers that were coming or groups that were starting. And accountability is something we need to recognize that it's a safety net for our own good. So when we first got started with the church, that was one one area why we um, appreciated Clayton Andrews so much because he helped us there. He helped us sit down with an accountant and get all the bookkeeping in order. He he sent us to his accountant and they laid out the way it should be done for us. And he helped us get our corporation right and the legalities right. And then thank God. God sent Ron Albin because he's key, he's the one that oversees all the legalities of the corporations and all of that for us. So there's an accountability there. And we've maintained an accountant firm for years and years to make sure that all the finances and everything done there, there's an accountability. But it's important, too, that we have relationships. And so in denominational churches, you might have overseers or or, you know, district supervisors or all those things. We didn't have that. And that, we felt like that was a mistake. We needed that. And we had belonged to an organization, and then the leader of the organization died. And so that's been an area that's been kind of difficult. But through the years, because we thought that was important, and just because we love these guys, we developed and have maintained relationships with people like Mike Keyes and Mike Plain and Randall Gant and, and 
Doug Daniels and these people, that if there was a big problem here, they would come help deal with that. So there's an accountability. But the thing is, we see them maybe once or twice a year. They don't know what goes on on a day-by-day basis. They might be led by the Spirit in some things. But really, ultimately, I believe that the purpose of a local church and an attending church is for deep, long-lasting, trustworthy, agape kind of love relationships that are developed in the church so that we have an accountability one to another. It talks about submitting one to another. And I think culturally, that's one thing we're missing right now. You know, I grew up in a little town. Everybody knew all your business all the time, but they knew who was really good And they'd bring the hammer down on somebody that wasn't. And it provided an accountability. And then we had the whole family. You know, my dad and all his brothers, man, they'd smack each other around if somebody got out of line. They kept each other. They got along. They loved one another. But if one of them wasn't treating the wife right or a kid right, the other brother would step in and provide some accountability. There was accountabilities. And because... Families are so spread out and communities are so urban and and people just watch church online. We're losing accountability. And we should not want to lose accountability. We should want accountability in our life because that's what keeps us stable. And that's what we need in the future to survive and bear fruit. In perilous times... We need each other. That's what it comes down to. We need to endeavor to allow God and his word to hold us accountable. There's such a breakdown of marriages, of families, of communities, of churches. Um, I was talking to a cousin in Monroe, the Methodist church down there, and Silver Creek and Genoa is just falling apart. There's so much division. And she says, to begin with, nobody came back to church after covid And like the church in Genoa, the Methodist church in Genoa runs an average of seven people a week. And it's just, and they don't know where, they're splitting with the Methodist church for reasons you probably can figure out. And they don't know where they're going to get their ministers. And, but it's, in Monroe, there's one church. That's the only church there. That is the church that has kept that community together. In this one respect, there's the church here and the tavern here. And, but, but really, the tavern does provide an accountability. Like I see in a small community, it does to a degree. And without those things, there's no accountability. And we're losing that. That's the trouble with our politics right now, our administrations. If you... You get elected to a position and you get rid of everybody that might stand up to you and put in only yes men that will just say yes to you because you're giving them a good salary. There's no accountability anymore. So that's why the people have to be the ones to step up and provide the accountability. And But we're seeing that in in politics in administration we're seeing it in large corporations the bigger and bigger and bigger a corporation gets the less accountable they are to the people that work for them and the less they care and so we're seeing all these things and i just 
think we need to, that needs to be something that we are aware of and contemplate and think about. And, you know, just the, our relationships we have with one another, it's like iron sharpens iron. And, and so I want to close with a scripture in Second Peter. And this is kind of Peter's rendition of the fruits of the Spirit. It's talking about the same, kind of the same things. And he's talking, we'll start in verse 2, with chapter 1 of Second Peter 1, starting in verse 2. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which... We, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, give all, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, which is moral excellency and goodness, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, there's that word again, to self-control perseverance or patience or forbearance, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if... These things are yours and abound. You will never, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. You will never be barren or useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sin. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call an election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And that, that's what I've been thinking about. So many people are being deceived. So many people are just being put to sleep, and everything's okay. And, and yes, ultimately with God will come out, but I don't want to live my whole life serving God and at the last minute get off course and fail the test. I want everyone here to make it all the way, to run their whole complete race. With all my heart, I believe that these are the things that will keep us on track. Accountability, allowing the gifts of this, the fruit of the Spirit to be developed in our lives, understanding that God and allowing God to prune us in some areas because when he's pruning us, he's developing things in us. And, you know, thinking of things from a sports perspective. What's the first week of football? Two-a-days. They make them as miserable as possible. And you know what happens? Usually the first day, a bunch don't come back. And then by the end of the first week, a bunch more have been pruned. And those that stick and stay, they're the ones that are going to make it. But there's a, that's a pruning process. And God kind of will do the same thing for us. Are you going to dig in? Are you going to pay the price? Are you going to make sure that you're around people that hold you accountable, that will speak the truth to you in love? And so I just think these things are just basic things, but they're where they're at. Uh, so... I want to read in that portion of Second Peter, 
where it talked about all these things and it talks about brotherly kindness. In my Bible, there's a, uh, it calls kingdom dynamics and it says brotherly love flows from the divine nature. You know, it would be, have to be God for Caleb and Micah to just love each other every day. (laughs) Ask Brad. It takes the divine work of God. But you know, that's what I said, like my dad and his brothers, they would just pound on each other and ruffle each other up, but they loved each other. But it, it's, a, it's a divine thing. Peter describes God's great and precious promises that are in, intended to enable us to be partakers in the divine nature of God. They allow us to escape corruption from the world. Isn't that what we're after? We want to escape corruption from the world. These graces are necessary to lift us above the decay of human nature and unto brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness dissolves personal infighting and ungracious ignoring of one another. It allows refocusing on our real enemy and not one another. It allow, uh, Further, to master love is to receive and release agape love, that Christ-like, unconditional gift that is full of affection, bursting with benevolence, and that provides a love feast to all to whom we minister in the name of Jesus. This text is a promise for those yielded enough to let the gifts flow. We can actually participate in the divine nature of God, which is elevated above the corrupt and divisive spirit of the world. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. That's what I want for me, for our family, and for this church family. I want us to run the race and make it to the end and be productive along the way. So those are just things I want you to think about, contemplate, work on. Um, If you have more thoughts on that, you can give them to me. Now, I have a couple prayer prayer requests. There's like we've talked about, there's been a lot of strife in the air. Um, Our neighbors just put their house up for sale. We just figured they were moving closer to the kids. And in tonight's paper, they're getting a divorce. It just it kind of shocked me. But there's just so much going on. There's so much upheaval and people aren't, you know, all these things aren't being developed in people's eyes. So we're going to pray for marriages because the marriage and the family is so important for one reason, and it's a place that keeps us accountable to one another. And then I also saw a weather forecast for next week. and <laughs> So we're going to pray about that. So if you want to stand with me, we'll just pray, and you can be in agreement. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And Father, it's our desire to love you more every day. And by enabling us to do that, you will enable us to love one another, Father God, because we need each other. We need to have each other's backs. We need to learn how to love one another with the God kind of love. And so, Father God, not only for marriages, but for families, for work relationships, in the name of Jesus, we bind up strife and anger and frustration And we lose peace and the love of God to abound. We thank you, Father God, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And he helps us in every one of these areas. We lose peace to the marriages, all those involved here. 
In Jesus' name. Father, we also pray for the weather this upcoming spring. Father, I thank you that because we tithe, the devourer is rebuked. We bind up tornadoes, excessive winds, hail, floods, any evil thing. In Jesus' name. And we loose the angels of God to bring in the moisture that we have need of, but keep the inclement weather away. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for it, Father God. We believe that we receive these things in Jesus' name. Anything else? You may be dismissed. No church next Wednesday. If you want to help with food, talk to Courtney.